Happy Friday to everybody listening and uh, welcome to another episode of the Rebuild Podcast. This week, uh, a little bit of a Cavs edition of the Rebuild Podcast, but I think the name still works. I think when subliminally when I was choosing the name for this Browns podcast, I just knew that also maybe it would work for the Cavs. So anytime I wanted to do a little bit of a crossover into some uncharted foreign territory, um, I could. So obviously you should definitely still listen to the Chase Down pod, which uh, those guys are way better than me at talking Cavs. But um, I'm going to do some Cavs stuff today because last night it was the NBA draft and the Cavs were a really, really big part of the first round. And so we're going to sort of recap that because I was able to spend the draft at it. The cue continues to come out of my mouth, but it's just really Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is a real bummer to say. It's a real bummer. Uh, So hopefully we come up with a not terrible nickname for that soon so I don't have to just feel like I'm yelling in all caps like, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, we're going there. That's just what it feels like to me whenever I say it. You just have to scream it in all caps. So, But I was in the bowels of Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse last night in the beautiful media workroom that the Cavs have set up. Flat screen TVs anywhere. They gave us pizza. They gave us wings. There were chips. I had chili cheese Fritos. I haven't had one of those in years. And the Cavs PR team brought them out like the true champions that they are. So honestly, they could have picked Bull Bull at number five, and I would have been like, that's fine, as I chomped on my chili cheese Fritos. I will, I don't need much. I really don't need much for me to support whatever it is you want me to support, and chili cheese Fritos are the way to my heart. So I consumed too many calories, drank too much Mountain Dew and a Pepsi yesterday. That draft, the draft took so long. So we were just kind of hanging out, waiting for Kobe Altman to talk. Um, but it was a cool experience to be able to do that with other Cleveland media members. We were talk a little bit about that. Um, I wrote a piece on, my, on the experience last night and also just the players that the Cavs drafted. That is up right now at uprocks.com. It is also pinned to the top of my Twitter page, which you can find, as always, at Clevezerm. Blue Wire continues to do really, really big things. Our real sports podcast that was launched underneath the Blue Wire umbrella. It's sort of this um, thing that started on Snapchat. The two guys were just doing for fun and it's now become a podcast. And it reached number one on the iTunes top 200 in sports and recreation category, which is sort of mind-blowing. So Blue Wire continuing to do really cool things, continuing to acquire and put out really, really good podcasts for whatever team that you are interested in. Um, New Orleans Pelicans podcast has obviously was what you should be listening to right now with the acquisition of, of Zion Williamson. So just search Blue Wire, look for your team. If you're a fan of other teams outside of any Cleveland affiliated teams, like just there's so much out there. So um Really cool to be a part of of seeing all this growth and to have a podcast that says Blue Wire underneath it reach number one in the iTunes Top 200. That's a big deal. That's nothing to scoff at. So a lot of growth in a little bit of time, and this has been really, really enjoyable. I know the guys from the Chase Down Pod, Justin and Carter, did a, a Twitch, a live Twitch stream of their podcast last night as the draft was going down. And at one point, I think it was the third most viewed stream at the time they were recording last night. So that's crazy. So a lot of really talented people doing a lot of really good stuff. Uh, but this is uh, this is mine. This is the rebuild. And just want to, you know, touch a little bit on the Cavs draft. I know we're so used to Brown's talk, but this this is truly the dead period. There's literally nothing going on aside from, <laughs> aside from Baker Mayfield deciding 
to spend a little bit of his free time taking shots at a quarterback who is still in college. But apparently Baker Mayfield holds grudges and rivalries very, very near and dear to his heart. So he decided it was time to roast Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger. Like, the kid's not even in the pros yet, man. No, let him live, Baker. Baker, don't do too much, man. Get married and then lay low. Leave Sam Ellinger out of this. Yeah, I tweeted that video of Baker Mayfield at one of his camps and he's always, he loves to just dance with children, and it's the funniest thing in the world. But I didn't even realize until somebody pointed out that in the midst of the dance, and he was having all these kids sort of follow him, follow his moves for the dance, he threw down the horns down. So he's taking shots at Texas, even at a camp in the middle of dancing uh, to popular rap songs. He's taking time out of his day to throw shade at Texas. You you almost respect the pettiness, but then if you're going to go on the radio and, to, and say that you don't like Sam Ellinger in that uh, why don't you check his record against Lake Travis? Like, come on, Baker, man. I know you have a very deep... The, the fire that burns inside you is uh, probably never going to run out. But, man, p- pump the brakes. Let Sam Ellinger live his life. He probably woke up to a bunch of texts. He probably was just, like, asleep in his mom's... In his guest room at his mom's, you know, like, waiting for the next semester to start. It's just like, what's going on? What did I do? So, um, <laughs> oh, excuse me. That's happening. I guess, you know, otherwise the, the Browns put out a really good uh, episode of Building the Browns recently that covered OTAs. Uh, so we got to see some some cool stuff from that. Uh, something I thought was really interesting was Denzel Ward's comments on at least his initial look at the new defensive steam, uh, scheme under Steve Wilkes and comparing it to Greg Williams, where he said they played a lot of man-to-man and they were pretty predictable. <laughs> and this time they're going to be mixing it up, playing more zone. Mixing it up with man, and um, and he likes that more. So, you know, I think whenever a new coordinator or coach comes in, the players, there's an excitement, and there's sort of a, a want to gravitate towards and be excited about the new system that you're playing in. But, you know, you would hear things about Gray Williams' defense from time to time, and especially two years ago, you saw on tape, they were incredibly predictable. Obviously, they made a big leap last year, but they sort of tailed off in the second half of the year. So it's going to be fun to see what Steve Wilkes does with that defense how he sort of mixes in zone and and man, how how often he's going to play, you know, five DBs, six DBs, and um, just all the different things they can do with the sort of talent they have back there. So Denzel Ward seems pretty excited about it. And, it, you know, Denzel Ward doesn't get excited about a lot of stuff. He's, uh, he's not the most interesting personality in the world. So if Denzel's excited, I'm excited. So that's a good episode. You guys should go check that out. It's always just fun to hear people mic'd up. Uh, the defensive line coach for the Browns, I loves to just yell a lot of stuff. There's a, you always have to have, you can't just have a football team where, where all the coaches are just normal. Like there's always going to be one coach who yells things like, finish the rep. You got to win the day. Like there's always one of those guys and the Browns defensive line coach who I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's apparently that guy. And it's really funny how they juxtaposed sort of, they had this whole little segment on him and he's, you know, telling Miles Garrett he's not coming hard enough on the sled and, He's just zooming around, yelling at players, like not in a demeaning way at all. Like it's not the Greg Williams type. I'm just going to yell to yell. Like he seems more genuine than that. But it was funny. They then like the next scene was Freddie Kitchen saying uh, sometimes the loudest coaches are the ones that uh, are saying nothing, which I hope is a shot at Hugh Jackson. But also it was just funny that it came right after their defensive line coach screaming his head off. So um, I don't know if they meant to do that or not, but uh that's sort of what's going on with the Browns. Other than that, it's it's uh, it's all quiet. So it's time to talk a little bit Cleveland Cavaliers 2019 draft. 
you know, there was a lot of discussion about where the Brown, or excuse me, where the Cavs going to move out of the number five pick. Uh, there seemed to be a lot of interest from various teams about moving up for certain guys. The guy that and that we'll talk about here in a second, but Darius Garland out of Vanderbilt, who the Cavs ultimately ended up taking at five. You know, the Knicks seemed to make a late push. Seemed to be really into him as the as this week went on, and there were you know he worked out for them, and they were enamored with him, and all this stuff. And you can never put it past the Knicks to not do something dumb. So you know when the Knicks pick came up at number three, I was just waiting for them to not take R.J. Barrett, but they did it, and I'm happy that you know that is a partnership that seems like it's the best for both sides. So um, good for them for doing that. But uh, there was a lot of speculation about the Cavs moving out of that pick, either you know up. This was probably always a pipe dream, but if the Knicks really had been enamored with Darius Garland, did the Cavs try to make a trade with them to secure, to make sure that the Knicks get Garland and they have a chance to take you know R.J. Barrett or to, what's going to happen? Um, that would have been really fascinating, but that was not to be. Uh, and then you know the Cavs kind of had the choice made for them. There was a lot of talk about DeAndre Hunter from Virginia and how much the Cavs liked him, and I was told. Actually, yesterday, the day of the draft, I was told by somebody that Hunter had been on the top of their board for a while, like since they started evaluating this class. And, um, you know, Joe Varden from The Athletic had reported that he was their guy, which felt like the timing of that felt a little odd. It just felt like that was more of a leak to try and get teams to move up to maybe take Hunter uh, ahead of five. Um, but I also had heard that there was legitimate interest in Hunter. And, uh, once the Hawks made the trade to move up to four and take Hunter, it was sort of like Darius Garland became impossible to pass up for the Cavs. And I think once Hunter was off the board and it seems like they weren't as high on Jarrett Culver than maybe we in the media and, uh, being there and the talent that he possesses and the interest that we knew that the Cavs had in him. And um, we'll start with Darius. A lot of you guys know his story already. You know, he commits to Vanderbilt. He wants to stay close to home, you know, around the Nashville area. So, you know, he's a five-star recruit. He's played for USA Basketball. He's played for EBYL. He's played for all, you know, AAU circuits, all that stuff. Really, really highly recruited guy, goes to Vanderbilt, tears his meniscus, you know, four or five games into the season. So you just, you had a tiny sample size of Darius Garland. I remember hearing his, I remember hearing his name um, early on in the season. And then I remember hearing more about it because he got injured. And he was sort of, sort of the forgotten guy in this class of John Morant and Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish and um, all those other guys that, you know, became DeAndre Hunter and Jared Culver. He was, he was there. He was in that group. And I think a lot of people think had he played the entire season, he would have been, you know, top two pick, top three pick. Who knows what he would have been. But, um, you know, Kobe said last night that the Cavs started to get fascinated by the thought of adding him to their team when they went out to Los Angeles to watch him work out and sort of this secret workout that then became public. Um, but, uh, and he was, you know, Altman said he was sort of chucking 30-footers with no hesitation and draining them all over the place. And I think that's, when you're looking at Darius Garland and when you look at Kevin Porter Jr., um, who we will talk about later, who the Cavs took at number 30, like the Cavs really made an effort to take players who have the skill set that seems to match up with what you want from in a point guard or a score for a sort of two in Darius Garland and then a wing player in Kevin Porter Jr. who can sort of toggle in between a three and a four. 
is they really targeted traits that should translate to the to the NBA. Now, if you look at Darius Garland, the two things that he is really really good at one is pulling up from anywhere. He's going to look like Trey Young sometimes, the good and the bad of he's going to pull up with no hesitation from just inside half court. He's going to, you know, his his comp everywhere has been Damian Lillard. So that's obviously exciting. Um, he's not he's obviously not as anywhere near as good of a distributor as Trey Young is in Atlanta, and that's something that he's going to have to work on. That's something both him and Colin Sexton are going to have to work on if this partnership is going to work out. But for just taking him for what he is, his his ability to pull up and hit um, off the dribble, off screens, whatever it is, his handle is incredibly tight, and he's really, really good out of the pick and roll. Um, it's a small sample size, obviously, at Vanderbilt of what he did out of the pick and roll, but he did the same thing in USA Basketball. He just knows what to do coming off a of pick and roll. He knows how to score. In the NBA, so much offense is initiated with a screen, um, ball screens. And so to have a point guard or a guy with the ball in his hands that is able to make good decisions out of the pick and roll, it's really important. And they looked at Darius Garland and they looked at his talent and they looked at maybe what his ceiling could be. And they said, "Why we're going to he's right here. We don't have to trade anything to get him. Let's just go take him. And I respect that choice. And I I don't have any arguments with that choice. I, I personally really liked Jarrett Culver. I liked him more and more as the draft process went on. But I think Darius Garland was too tantalizing not to, too tantalizing to pass up on. And um, I have no issue with them taking him at five. What's up, Blue Wire listeners? This is Jack from the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod. We recently ranked as the number one sports podcast on all of iTunes, all of Apple. We cover all things from the NBA draft, from NBA free agency. We're working on MLB this summer, as well as the NFL offseason. Catch me and my co-host Abe on the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod, a part of the wonderful Blue Wire Podcast Network. So another, th- you know, the Cavs' next pick, and we were sort of, Chris Manning and I, from Chris Manning from Fear the Sword, were sort of dra- joking about this in the draft room, um, in the media room last night, was this kid, Dylan Windler, out of Belmont, who not, most of that room, I don't know, had, had not heard of this kid. And it was also strange because both Shams and I think even Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted out initially that the Cavs are taking Keldon Johnson from Kentucky, and then all of a sudden... They were like, just kidding, uh, which which makes me think, like, did it come down to the wire like last second uh, between Keldon Johnson and Dylan Windler? And the Cavs were like, we're going to take Keldon. And then they just changed their mind at the last minute. I don't really know what happened, but Dylan Windler out of Belmont, like a 6'8 um, kid who can, I mean, shoot the lights out. But again, you know, he's playing in the OVC, the Ohio Valley Conference, which to be fair is the same conference that John Morant played in. So there's talent there. But um you know, a kid who shoots, a kid who rebounds. Kobe Altman said the game, one of the games he watched in person of uh, of Dylan, he pulled down twenty boards. And uh, but I mean, his shot chart, and I tweeted this out, is just he bombs away from NBA range, and he finishes pretty strong around the rim. He finished, I think, sixty six percent of his shots around the rim. So those are good numbers. You just it's always hard to sort of project out how that's going to translate into the the leap that the competition will be from playing at Belmont to the next level. 
So he's probably the most questionable of the three picks. And I was saying this, you know, he, I don't know if this will happen or not, but he feels like a guy that could be out of the league in a few years. He just feels like that prototype of player, a guy that could really shoot in college, but you don't know if he has the physical and athletic tools to succeed on the next level. But, you know, it, he shot the ball so well that if the Cavs can get enough playmaking out of Garland and Sexton and even guys like Jetty, uh, Kevin Love, Larry Nance, guys that can move the ball around and he can just post up in the corner and get some rebounds and make his threes, like that's obviously you would like to have that. It's just going to depend on Porter Jr. and Sexton and Garland and other guys and how much playmaking they they can provide. So you don't have to ask Windler to do too much, but um, excellent dancer. So at least he has that going for him. Um so he's going to be intriguing. He's probably the most unknown of, of any of these guys, and we'll see what happens here. But then, you know, that sort of takes us to Kevin Porter Jr. from USC, who I sort of liken to what happened with Harrison Barnes when Harrison Barnes was at North Carolina, where I heard so much about Kevin Porter Jr. ahead of the season. I'm not a huge college basketball fan. I don't really enjoy visually college basketball uh, how how hard it is for teams to score, the um, the tightened court, the lack of spacing, all of that can make for some pretty bad offense. And so I just don't enjoy it a ton. Now, obviously, this year I watched a lot more because, well, Zion I just wanted to watch anyway. But, you know, the Cavs obviously were hopefully going to have a top pick. So, you know, I watched some of John Morant, obviously watched a lot of Duke games here and there. But um, USC, you know, not a top team. Uh, playing in the uh, Pacific time zone. So I didn't see any of Kevin Porter Jr., but I heard a ton about him before the season because he was a very highly touted prospect for the Trojans. Um, And you always get curious when then you just stop hearing his name at all uh, as the season went on. And I just really didn't hear anything about Kevin Porter Jr. as the season progressed um, up until the end of it when there were rumors that the Cavs were really interested in him. And those rumors had persisted for a little while. And I think... There is a theme between Garland and Kevin Porter Jr., which I mentioned at the beginning, which is just possessing traits that will flourish, that you hope will flourish in the modern NBA, and that you can mold and use those traits to sort of, um, you know, they're there. You just can caress them a little bit and get them to to come out and, um, you know, to sort of dominate that way and, and make that a big part of your game. And Kevin Porter Jr. is is similar um, to Darius Garland just in the in the fact that he can create space and he can get his own shot. He's really, really fluid, like getting to the hole when he's on, when he's playing well. He It seems like he can get to the bucket. You know, they played, USC played uh, Texas Tech really early on in the season. I think it was like game four for both teams. So Texas Tech wasn't quite the defensive behemoth that maybe they were later in the year. But Jarrett Culver spent most of that game guarding Kevin Porter Jr., Kevin Porter shot 6 of 16 in that game, so not great, but I think he had 14, 15 points, and there are a couple possessions where he takes Jarrett Culver to the hole and uses his uh, physicality and uses his sort of skill to muscle him and get a layup on the inside, and Jarrett Culver is a very good defender. So, you know, that was encouraging to see, and I think there's enough talent there where you understand, especially at number 30, now the Cavs gave up four future second-round picks and $5 million. I mean, they paid a price to to move to 30 to get Kevin Porter Jr. But at that draft position, a guy that a lot of people feel, you know, you, you hear this, but it's like, oh, he, you know, for me, he's a top 10 prospect. Or if he's in the right system, he can be a top 10 prospect. And it's great to hear that. You have no idea. You know, people are inconsistent for a reason. 
He had some injury history at USC. He got suspended for a game, and the team wouldn't even reveal what it was for. That stuff is always really strange. He didn't play a ton of minutes because of injuries, because of other stuff. You know, he wasn't averaging 25 points a game, but um, he has this. He has the skill set for the modern NBA. He's a wing player, which the Cavs desperately need, and he's a six 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 seven. Um, he has a step back that is. It's serious. It's a legitimate step back. People call him James, baby James Harden because his step back is very similar to, to James Harden. So he possesses that already. He has that in his offensive arsenal. So that's really exciting. You can see how um, his shot selection can sometimes be questionable. His mechanics on his shot, he shoots the ball very strange. He's a lefty, sort of shoots it pretty low. He just has weird mechanics if you watch him shoot. Um, so I don't know if the Cavs are going to want to tinker with that or not. But, uh, you know, shot decently from three-point land pretty good from the mid-range and he just like he's just a physical guy his hops are crazy you can look up any of his dunks on the internet and you will be uh, instantly excited so there's athleticism there's ability to create space and there's a modern skill set and I think the Cavs obviously really really wanted and even you know Dylan uh, Wilder who I mentioned you know he's like the his shot chart is the analytics darling shot chart he shoots threes at a high rate and he shoots at the rim at a high rate and so if you're gonna if you're gonna take a guy from us a mid-major like that who's a little bit of an unknown at least you have that data in front of you and at least you have that to sort of help shape your decision making and um so i think the Cavs did a, a really good job i gave them a b last night um you know fit is the question is going to be fit, but I don't think you need to worry about fit until down the road. And I, I think the thing with Colin Sexton, I think we talk a lot about Colin Sexton, like, oh man, uh, if he doesn't work out, like what a disaster. Like, how are they going to start together and all this? And I just, you know, they took Colin Sexton at number eight overall. They took a kid who, you know, his he loved to take bad mid-range jumpers just inside the arc. He didn't pass a lot. He put his head down and drove a lot. Um he obviously morphed into a serviceable player by the end of the season. His three-point percentage was great. He was taking his shot selection was much better, but still not a playmaker really for other guys. He's still not getting a lot of people involved. So Colin Sexton remains a work in progress, and I don't know if Colin Sexton is going to be... I don't know how much higher up his ceiling is. Like What you saw at the end of last year could just be who he is, and it's, it's not this... It's not going to be this huge disaster if the Cavs, A, have to bring Colin Sexton off the bench... Be you know just decide Garland is already better than what Sexton is and it's Garland's team, or see eventually they traded him. Like I don't think you're admitting some colossal mistake with Colin Sexton if that if any of those things happen. Now were there better draft picks available? Yes, I think so. I think Shea Gilgis Alexander that the Clippers took after the Cavs is an example of somebody you could have taken that I think would be a better fit, especially with Garland. Um, Gildas Alexander, a better passer, sort of a better floor vision than Colin Sexton. But, you know, the Cavs seem, I'll say this, at least from the, the anecdotes that Kobe Altman told us last night and hearing from Darius Garland today at his press conference, like it genuinely seems that Sexton and Garland want to play together, are excited to play together. Now, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how that dynamic is going to work out? It's going to be weird for Colin coming in. It was sort of, quote-unquote, his team last season. 
And now he's going to have to make way for a guy who's probably more talented than he is and may have a better season than he is. And and if it's going to be Garland's team, how does Colin Sexton adjust to something like that? Like, these are all things that are legitimate concerns. And you obviously saw the difficulty of trying to pair two um, ball-dominant, score-first mentality guards when the Cavs tried to do with Kyrie Irving and Deion Waiters. Um now, their personalities, I think, are different than Sexton and Garland's personalities. They, Garland and Sexton seem like like they can adjust a little bit better than Kyrie and Dion did. Uh, that partnership obviously did not work out. Also, Dion, I don't know if Dion was ever the player in college that Darius Garland uh, is. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I just don't think it's going to. It's this thing where you know, if Garland outplays Sexton and all of a sudden Sexton is off the bench or Sexton gets traded, that it's this big failure. Number eight is a, a tough spot to pick. Um, there was a lot of rumors about Dan Gilbert's involvement with Colin Sexton. So there's just things, but I think the Cavs' ability to get Porter Jr. and Darius Garland in that first round, I think is a big deal. I think if you're just looking at Darius Garland and Dylan Windler, um, then maybe the concern is a little bit more because you're just like, okay, it's just those two. You know, everybody is pointing to Portland as the comparison for Darius Garland and Colin Sexton as the CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard equivalent of what you would want to be, but we always forget like Portland didn't doesn't have a, a a stud wing. And you know, once Yusuf Nurkic went out, they just didn't have a third scoring option. Like Al Farouk Amino is not somebody that's getting you twenty five points a game. Mo Harkless is not a guy that's getting you um that many points a game. It's just they just did not have that third score on the wing. They've really never had that third option. And if if Kevin Porter Jr. can live up to what some people think he is, then you have a pairing of two guards and you have a wing in Kevin Porter Jr. that can help ease that load a little bit scoring-wise. So I think that's the difference here. I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm not saying that they're all of a sudden going to be, you know, Portland Trailblazers 2.0, but... You know, you look at Portland and Damian and CJ are great, but that team, I think, is only goes so far with that roster and only goes so far with kind of two guards like that. Um, you know, they're not Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. They're not that level. So um, it's going to be important for Kevin Porter Jr. to develop. It's going to be important to find some wings that can score um, and can play make. And, and obviously, we're going to see what Jetty Osmond brings to the table in year three for him, uh, which, you know, you hope he takes a leap. We're going to see if they, what they do in free agency. We're going to see what, what happens with J.R. Smith's contract. So, you know, there's some, some outlets for them and some things for them to do, but I, I really think that the Cavs did a good job and I'm excited that they took Garland and they took Porter and they, they took chances on guys that I think fit the modern NBA. It doesn't mean that it's going to all work out. Um, you still have a older college coach who has to kind of come in and, implement his system and and all of that but it's very clear that Kobe Altman was working in concert with John Beeline he talked about that a lot as presser and it's clear that um you know they really want the input and advice and they want to hand the keys to John Beeline and let him run this train and um he seems to have a you know his his influence was everywhere they said he sat down with uh, Dylan Windler and went over tape with him and you know I do think Kobe said this, and I think it's true. He ha- Beeline has an advantage because he can talk to college coaches in a way that, you know, maybe a first-year head coach in the NBA who is coming up from assistance role and has never really been around the college game couldn't. So he can get intel on guys that maybe or ask the right questions that maybe other coaches can't. Um, so I think all of that's really is interesting and good. But, um, you know, I think the Cavs are going to lose a lot of games. 
uh, next season, and, and that's fine. If they find themselves back in the lottery and can add another dynamic talent next season, and then you get rolling from there, I think uh, I think that's really important. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see what they do with Kevin Love and if he if he stays healthy, if teams are going to come calling around the trade deadline and if there's going to be a deal that makes sense for them. But I think you feel a lot better about this draft than last year's draft. I think you feel a lot better about the state of the Cavs, especially compared to what they tried to do the first time LeBron left. I think they're in a better position. Um, I think Kobe. I think Kobe Altman is is good at what he does. I mean, I think you're, I think you're seeing from David Griffin why a lot of us were so upset when Dan Gilbert just decided he wasn't going to meet da, um, David Griffin's contract demands because David Griffin is out here in New Orleans building a team from from nothing to maybe like a playoff contender in a matter of days. <laughs> so um, David Griffin is very, very good at what he does. And I, I am hoping that Kobe Altman soaked up a lot from him while they were here. And David Griffin always talks highly of of Kobe and some of the other guys that were here when he was um, running the front office. But, uh, you know, it's it, this is hard. And drafting in the NBA is really hard. And you've seen a lot of stuff about how, you know, the Raptors had zero lottery picks on their roster this season when they won the championship. I think Kawhi Leonard was taken 15th overall. Fred Van Vliet was undrafted. Like it, as much of a crapshoot as the NFL can be, the, the NBA and lottery picks is you're just throwing it to the wind. You know, you're looking at somebody tweeted out a video of the Charlotte Hornets past draft picks and you're just high draft picks and you're looking at Cody Zeller and you're looking at uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist and, um, Oh, you're looking at Adam Morrison, you know, like just whiffing. Noah Vonley, you're just whiffing and whiffing and whiffing on these guys that just become, they're in no man's land in the NBA. Noah Vonley's in no man's land. Adam Morrison's out of the league. I don't even know where Cody Zeller is. Is Cody Zeller still in the Hornets? I honestly don't know at this moment. But you're just, it's such a fine line. And when you're picking high, it doesn't matter, you know. I think R.J. Barrett is going to be such a fascinating case study in this because while I think he can be really good like what if he has the potential to not be really good I know you can say that about everybody but he has like the game that I think toggles between oh this is going to be a great score for the Knicks or he's going to be a super inefficient um, but high volume just putting his head down and trying to go to the rack all the time and so you just never know and there's a risk with all these picks and I would rather the Cavs swing big for guys like Darius Garland and Kevin Porter Jr. then maybe play it a little more safe with somebody like DeAndre Hunter, uh, with somebody like Jared Culver, even though I like Culver a lot and would have been fine with him on the team. But um, I think I like their philosophy. Now they just have to turn it into action. Um, Nobody on this team is going to defend once again. They're probably going to give up 115 points a game. But, you know, if they're scoring 130, (laughs) who cares? It's a revolution, baby, and it's coming to Cleveland. The offensive revolution is here. This concludes my uh, first Cavaliers edition of the Rebuild Podcast. I really want to try and get Brian Winhorst on this podcast sometime during this offseason. So I'm going to try and do that. I've been chatting with him um, now that the draft is over. Hopefully he has some free time. But I'd love to get him in and we can talk a little bit more about like the Cavs roster plans uh, and stuff moving forward. Um, I think that would be really good because now the Cavs just got a lot more exciting. I'll say this. At least next year it's going to be way more enjoyable to watch them, um, even though they're probably going to lose a good amount of games again. At least you're going to have multiple guys. You're going to have Sexton 
and Jetty, but you're also going to have Garland and Porter Jr. and Windler. Maybe. We'll see. Um, at least his dance moves on the bench will be great. So uh, I think there's a lot of excitement around that, and uh, that should at the very least be fun. Uh, if you missed any of my past episodes of the rebuild, um, last week's was recapping minicamp with Jake Burns, who does obviously great work with Brown's Film Breakdown, as I'm sure anybody that listens to my podcast also listens to his. Uh, the week before that, I had Sports Illustrated Charlotte Wilder on, and that was, that's was that been one of my favorite conversations on a podcast. Um, I am hoping to have a special guest in August, late July, for a Browns-related thing that they may or may not be working on, so um, stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, yeah please rate and subscribe to the podcast tell a friend to tell a friend and uh, I will talk to you guys next week so thank you for always as listening uh, as always as listening hmm, what a terrible ending thank you as always for listening this is The Rebuild I'm Jordan Durham follow me on Twitter at Clint and I'm signing off Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.